Well, good morning. I uh, still serve here once in a while. My name is uh, Bruce Sins. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor of Forest Grove Community Church. I haven't been here at Attridge for the last couple of weeks. I've been at Broadway and also at Northsite, and it's been really good to connect uh, in those settings, but it's good to be here and just to share some things from God's Word and just as, as we're in these discipleship steps uh, in this series right now. Uh, two weeks ago, Kevin uh, entered into this third step that we're talking about of train one another in obedience, and he he talked about the broad squo- scope of the commands of Jesus in terms of all the different areas that we train one another in. Last week, Maureen uh, spoke some about being so close to the Master and walking so close to the Master Jesus that we are actually covered with the dust of our rabbi, and also that we would be responsive to the work of the Holy Spirit and the, the call of the Holy Spirit in obedience uh, in our lives. Uh, today, I want to take kind of a third run. We've been doing three weeks on each of these discipleship steps, and I want to go uh, really practical today on how we actually train one another. My original plan uh, earlier on was uh, to focus solely on one area of discipleship and uh, to kind of drill down deep into one of the most important areas of discipleship that we see in Scripture. But for me, the events of the last few days, and particularly uh, just two funerals that our church has been connected with in the last couple of days, um, some of those stories will, will slip in as well and, and also cause some reflection. So I, sort of my disclaimers is a bit of a different kind of message today, uh, at least it feels that way uh, for me. Uh, rather than focusing on a particular text, I want to talk about some really specific practical training principles that hopefully uh, will be relevant for us. Uh, we have a sermon study guide, it's online and it's at the back, and, and I'd really encourage you in your small groups or with your families or with friends, uh, you can go into more of the original sermon that I planned uh, if you study that and kind of talk through some of that. Um, so training, the reality is, is that we're always training because people are always watching, people are always listening. It doesn't matter if you're somebody who stands on a platform with a microphone, or you're somebody who interacts in a workplace, or you parent children, or you relate to siblings in your family, or you hang out with friends, people are watching, people are observing, people are learning. And so, like it or not, every one of us is involved in some kind of training in one way or another. And so we need to understand that uh, right at the outset. That our training is happening incidentally, accidentally, or whatever, and so we need to pay attention to that a little bit more closely. So my goal for today is that we would all uh, see this, this training and obedience for us. That it's not just something that is for the pastor, not just something that is for the missionary, not just something that is for those people who really lead, like the leaders who, who lead in particular ways. No, no, this is for every person called by Jesus to be a disciple of Jesus, that we are called to train one another in obedience. And so nobody gets off the hook on this. We all have a role to play. We're all called to train others. You can't read the Great Commission without understanding that. As Jesus called people to follow him, but he also said you need to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, as Paul is writing Timothy, as he is training Timothy, 
So Paul in his letters is training this young leader and he's saying to him, you've heard me teach these things, now you teach them to reliable people who will in turn teach them to others. And you see this progression and this passing on of the things of faith that Paul is teaching Timothy about. He says a very similar thing to Titus. He says in Titus chapter 2, older men should live in such a way that it models and trains the younger men and older women should train the younger women. And so he just says like, There's training that needs to happen. There's intentionality that needs to happen in one way or another. One story that has impacted me, a story that uh, a man kind of uh, intersected my life by being vulnerable and giving me something, took a risk a few years ago. And it impacted me because it was both intentional and it was vulnerable. And it was in the area of finance, which is the area that I was going to go deeper into today. But he is an elderly gentleman who gave me a piece of paper that had all of their donation history for a certain year. And this is a number of years ago. And it, knowing the person, I know that it was totally out of humility. There was no arrogance whatsoever. In fact, he was asking for feedback. Is there anything that I should change here? What do you think? And it articulated 23 different organizations of giving. Starting from like $7,500, $4,500, $4,500, $3,500, it went, went down and down and down to the last one of being $30 to the last organization. And I, I looked at this, and it completely humbled me. Now, this is a person knowing the kind of work that they did. This is a person who just took a paycheck week after week, did not have a lot of money. I don't know how much they made, but it was a mo- it's a modest living, a modest lifestyle for sure. The total at the bottom of the page was just under $37,000. That was one year of annual giving. And I'm like, you're kidding me. That humbled me. That challenged me. I don't know what the percentage of giving was, because I don't know the income, but it was significant. So things like that challenged me. And, And the reason that it challenged me is that this person was intentional and the person was vulnerable. Two things that I want us to see today about what helps us in learning to train one another in obedience. So training. I like to think myself as somebody who can train other people. I've been doing it all my life in different ways. Years ago, I was uh, invited to go to a camp and work as a canoe instructor. And so I did, and I, I took up the invitation. It was, I was just out of high school. I thought, you know what, me and my buddies, we've gone fishing lots of times we uh, go out in the northern lakes, and we usually make it to where we want to go. And so I thought, ah, how hard can this be? I can teach that skill to other people, to kids. So I thought, uh, camps in BC, I got two days of travel. I got a few days on the other end of it. Then we got a week of staff training. Um, should be able to figure this out, no problem. So I bought a book, How to Teach Canoe Instruction. Read this book, spent some time. By the time I got on the water with the kids, I thought, ah, oh, I'm an expert. This is pretty simple. And I started to teach the kids how to, you know, put the paddle in the water perpendicular, use your lower hand as a fulcrum, leverage that to get power for the J-stroke, all that kind of stuff. Until one of the cabin leaders pulled me over uh, in one of my early sessions and said, "Um, Bruce, uh, these kids are like nine years old, and they don't know how to pronounce perpendicular or fulcrum or uh, things like that, let alone understand what it means. Good lesson. Appropriate teaching. Appropriate language. Okay, how do we think this through a little bit differently? Uh, Many of you know I've been involved in in coaching hockey for many years. I've been a coach for lots of years of of various different sports. The primary one 
uh, being hockey that I coached for over a dozen years. And so you learn to teach the basic skills. And there was a number of years in the lower mainland of BC and in Calgary where I actually coached coaches. I would do coaching clinics and I would teach coaches how to coach hockey skills to these young athletes. And one of the things that, as I was thinking about today, that came back to me is, that, yeah, okay, so there's some really basic ways to teach a skill. And so there was these, these four things that you would kind of go through. This is like coach level number one. Is first of all, you just sort of select a skill. Secondly, you choose demonstration. Then you figure out how you're going to practice. And then the observation and feedback. So what's the skill? Why is it important? You break it down. There's all these different skills. Are we going to talk about passing? Are we going to talk about angling? Are we going to talk about body contact? Whatever. Then you go to demonstration. How are you going to demonstrate the skill? You know, how's that going to look? I remember one time in, in hockey practice, I was, just gave the lecture about not anyone getting hurt. And then I asked somebody to go first, and we were doing a body contact drill of some sort. I forget exactly what it was. And I thought I would demonstrate. So this first guy goes, and he goes behind the net, and I take him out against the boards, and I broke his collarbone. And he was out for six weeks, one of my players. That wasn't very good. Next time, I'm going to get other people to demonstrate. But then you go to the next one. You say, how are they going to practice the skill? And then how are you actually going to observe and then give feedback in the skill? What would that look like? And I could give you all kinds of examples from sports. Many of you are involved in sports. You're involved in coaching. You understand this. It's just the simple basics of selecting a skill, demonstrating, practicing, and so on and so forth. But that's not the point because we're talking about discipleship. And you might look at this list and think, well, that's just irrelevant or mechanical or odd or whatever. But the problem is, is that when it comes to discipleship, we don't often think about it in this way. Jesus did these things all the time. Jesus, he taught his disciples various aspects of these steps all the time as he taught them about faith, about prayer, about healing ministry, about generosity, about forgiveness, about the kingdom of God, about how to go and live out the gospel where Jesus would teach and demonstrate and send them out and give them feedback and draw them back to pray and reflect. I've shared before Reggie McNeil's three things of Jesus' main strategy of discipleship. Train, deploy, debrief. He would train them, deploy them, debrief them. He did this with the disciples all the time. So the problem that we often have when it comes to discipleship and training one another, and partly why I felt the conviction that we need to get really practical today, was that we often don't think about this at all. We just sort of think, well, somehow it's just going to happen. Somehow it's just going to sort of happen in our lives. And yet, in other areas of life, people are doing this all the time. You have teaching hospitals where doctors are training the interns who come through, where nurses are training others who come through. You have school teachers and a whole system that is set up to train them and do those four steps on a regular basis of different skills that they would teach and they would learn. And they would. My oldest daughter, Kelly, she's in doing an internship right now in the school system and has a teacher who's walking her through, giving her opportunities to lead and to practice them, giving her feedback. So we have all kinds of structures and setups and places in our culture where we do this regularly. I was at a fast food restaurant not that long ago and, and the person at the till had a little tag on their name tag, and it said their name, and then it said, in training. And so as this young girl was taking my order, there's another woman beside her who was looking over her shoulder and helping her know what buttons to push on the till and how to do it and all that. And she did a great job, actually, of training. She didn't do it for her. She just instructed her. She was giving her feedback, and it all happened right in front of there where I ordered my burrito. 
And I'm looking at this and going, wow, that's really good training. Really simple, but really good training. And so it's interesting to me that we see this happening in the world all around us, and yet sometimes we feel like it's not necessary in the church, in the kingdom. And yet we're in the most important business of all. And yet, at times, we're not intentional at all. People entering the kingdom is far more important than selling burritos. So if you're using your gifts to serve in the church, you have a role to play. If you are living a life and are a disciple of Jesus, you have a role to play. Because we're all called to train others in some simple way. And so the question I want you to reflect on is, how am I doing that today? What is one area where I'm being somewhat intentional about that? And you know, it's never too soon to be thinking about this. We all need to think multiplication. We all need to think about replacing ourselves. One of the things I came to realize years ago was that everybody's replaceable. I had a great moment just a few weeks ago at our council retreat, and we had our three site pastors, uh, Nathan and Brian and Kevin, all sharing just about the different sites to our leadership council. And for me, it was a wonderful moment of actually sitting back and watching Kevin give some articulation and give leadership about our Attridge site as he's taken on this role of the Attridge site pastor, leading our staff and leading our ministries. And it was incredibly rewarding for me. A couple of years ago, I, I, I shared with council and I started a conversation with council. I said, you know, we need to start talking about succession planning for me. Not that I plan to go anywhere, because you know what? The time to talk about succession planning is actually when you're not planning to go anywhere. Because then it's safe. And I thought, you know, it's probably better if I bring up the topic rather than council brings up the topic. That might be awkward. That might say something to me. So I brought up the topic, and I actually gave them a book, and I said, we need to talk about this, about pastoral succession planning. How do we do this well? And you know what? It's freeing when you actually start doing that. You start to lead differently. You start to think differently. How do I actually train people for when I'm not here someday? And and so please don't get me wrong. This is how bad rumors start. Bruce is leaving. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not planning on going anywhere. But you know what? I am leaving someday. Because I was thinking about this. There's really only a couple of options, maybe three options. I get fired. I decide to resign one day or I die. Those are kind of the three options. Now, there's a fourth option. Jesus could return. That could happen. Uh, Or the fifth option, which isn't really an option, is that I live forever, and I just keep pastoring here for eternity. (laughs) Every pastor is an interim pastor. Every pastor in the history of the church. And so when you start to get your head around that, and you start to think that way, you actually disciple people differently. And you start to think, okay, how do I multiply myself? And so for you, in whatever role, whatever capacity, in life, in the church, whatever that you're living, we need to all be thinking, how do I multiply myself? How do I replace myself? How do I train people so that they understand and know some of the things that I do when we we disciple and train one another in this obedience? Jesus was a master at this. He had a ministry for three years. And then he left. Three years. That's not a long time. I've been here for 18 years. And I feel like I've just begun. 
And sometimes you wonder, okay, has there been, what kind of impact have you had? Jesus had three years. And then he says to his disciples, he says, you know what? It's actually better that I leave. Really? They wanted to hold on to him. It's like, how could it be better that you leave? But Jesus says, it's better that I leave because I will leave you my spirit who will be with you and instruct you and encourage you and walk with you. But he trained these disciples with the skills of the kingdom. He allowed them to practice and fail. He observed them. He gave them feedback. He sent them out again and again. And then he left the mission of God through the church in the hands of 11 men. Fishermen, simple men, many not very educated. And the mission of God was placed in their hands. And 2,000 years later, the church is still advancing. You know, my, as I said, my original plan was to use this one of the most important areas of discipleship as a case study today and to kind of drill down deep into money and financial management because it's an area that I think we can all learn and grow in. Um, in the New Testament, there's only 215 verses about faith. There's 218 verses about salvation. And there's 2,084 verses about money. I think there's a reason for that. Jesus understood and knew that this is an area of easy idolatry and a place where we need to train one another and understand these things. So I will touch on that some today, but not much, as originally planned. As the past few days, my mind has been going to other places. In my simple training list, it says, select a skill. But the reality is, is that sometimes we get to choose a skill and sometimes a skill chooses us. The circumstances of life take over. And we become experts at things we never wanted to be experts at. But it's training all the same. The past two days, I've been involved, as many of you have, with two funerals, both of which have lots of connection to our church. On Friday, Cohen Takama and the Takama family, the funeral, I simply attended as a participant, observing, reflecting, grieving, celebrating, praying, and then yesterday, I spoke at Michelle Getz's funeral. The Getz family and the Summock family having lots of connection here, too. As I was thinking about this, here's a six-year-old boy and a 34-year-old mom of two boys who die too young. You don't choose to become experts in life and death, walking young kids and family and friends through grieving and questions and convictions of faith, and all the things that swirl around that. But it happens when those skills choose you for whatever reason. And Derek and Evelyn, you've, ma- you've, you've taken a master's level course in these areas. You've learned more than you'd ever care to learn about. But at the same time, whether you realize it or not, you've also trained others in a master's level course in these areas. Because you've opened up your journey to others, you become vulnerable, and you've led others into the story. You've led a lot of people into your pain, your hope. You've told your stories, spoke scripture, trusted Jesus, and trained others in obedience in more ways than you'll ever know. So how do we grow in training others in obedience? And here's my conviction. Two simple things. More intentionality more vulnerability. More intentionality, more vulnerability. If 
you look at Matthew 6, I'm going to just touch on a few verses there, and we won't take long there. We don't have the time. But the topic of money and financial stewardship as a case study of training, for me, is a good one to teach on because a lot of times we all feel unqualified, unworthy, not ready, inadequate. We think, you know, I can't, I can't teach on that because I haven't mastered this. I don't have it all together. And so we think that way before we train others in something. We think we have to have more of it together. We have to have it all figured out in some way. But the reality is, is that when we are vulnerable, when we're actually honest with our struggles and vulnerabilities and weaknesses and failures, and we let others into the story, that's some of the most powerful training we can do. When we don't have it figured out, when we're still working it through, when we don't have all the answers, we know some things of conviction and of faith that we can declare, but when it comes to some of the very practical things, we struggle. So for me to train or teach on money and financial stewardship is great because it's not a strength of mine. It's not a gift. I shared earlier this year how I manage directly out of our $1.7 million budget of the church, I manage about one quarter of 1% of that budget. That's what leadership has put me in charge of. That's about right. It's about $4,000. I can spend it almost however I want. No, I have to have accountability even for that. But, it, but it's an area for me that is not a strength of mine. About 30 years ago, I lost, before I was married, I lost a, my debit card. And so I phoned the bank and I thought I should phone the bank and tell them maybe something bad's going to happen. Somebody finds my debit card. So the nice lady on the other end, she asked me the simple question, and she just said, so, like, so just tell me, how much money did you have in your account? I only had one account. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not sure, actually. And so she said, well, no, like, just give me a ballpark, you know, like, roughly, what, how much money was in your account? And I said, I, I don't know. She goes, no, like, did you have, like, 50 bucks in your account? Did you have hundreds of dollars in your account? Did you have thousands of dollars in your account? I said, I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not proud of that story. But it's true. It's like, I, I, I don't know. So it's like, okay, that's not a strength of mine. Now, thankfully, I've, I've grown in this area a little bit. I've even passed an MBA class in financial accounting. don't know how I did that, but I did. Um, but the point is, is that, you know, things like budgeting and tracking expenses is not my strength. It's painful for me. It's painful for people around me. Just ask them. I need Lisa in my life in this area to help balance me out. Otherwise, I would either give all our money away or I would spend it all on tools and technology, one of the two. But the point is, is that we can still train others. We can all train others in something. If we're intentional and if we're vulnerable. In Matthew 6, verse, I'm just going to read a couple of verses. And again, I encourage you in your small groups to dig more deeply into these But let me just share a couple from this incredible text where Jesus is teaching about money. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Now, I would love to teach you lots of profound things about this, but I can just tell you this. If you actually get in a small group or get with some other people and you talk about this verse and even that last one of where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, and you start to share some stories and share your strengths and weaknesses in this area, you'll start training one another in obedience. You don't need me to teach you about that. You can just 
get into the Word of God and start to reflect and share with each other. Jesus goes on in 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, pretty powerful stories. Pretty powerful teaching. Pretty powerful truths that there are two masters and you need to choose your master. The term that is used for serve here, that you cannot serve one or the other, is of a slave. A worker can actually work for two employees or employers, but a slave implies exclusive owner and exclusive service. And so Jesus is saying you have to choose which one of these two masters will you serve. And then those middle verses that talk about worry. Do not worry about your life. Why do you worry about your clothes? Do not worry. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You need to choose your provider. Will you choose God or will you choose worry? And then in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What does it mean to seek God's kingdom? If you have some vulnerable conversations with people around these verses, you will have powerful, powerful training. Every one of you can do this. To just start sharing your understanding, start sharing your practices. Be intentional and more vulnerable using these texts. So my simple question for you is this. What's your plan? What's your plan? We're called to be disciples. How is it that we are going to actually train one another in whatever area it is? You could apply this to any area of life. How is it that you're going to help others or yourself? Start with you. If just, you know, how do I grow in the area of prayer? Actually, just start having a conversation around that. Start digging into Scripture around that and just studying the Word of God together and sharing your stories, being more vulnerable, being intentional about that. How do I grow in sharing my faith story? How do I become a better small group leader? How do I learn to understand other cultures better so I can do cross-cultural ministry better? I mean, you pick, it is unlimited the number of areas when it comes to training, which is part of what Kevin was getting at a couple of weeks ago. But we need to ask the question, what is our plan? How is it that we are going to grow in this area? Because discipling one another isn't an option. How will we bring others in on the journey? Even in this area of finances, though it's not a strength of mine, a few years ago I intentionally was meeting with a good friend and and we, we just shared each other's finances with each other. It was a step. It was one step of just being more transparent, more vulnerable, and just training one another. So we would meet together and we would share a sheet of paper that had our income, all our household income, our debt, our giving, our savings, everything. Nothing was hidden. And we just talked about it. We trained one another in obedience and finances. And it encouraged me. And it challenged me. A couple of years ago, uh, Lisa and I, we decided that we needed to take another step with our kids. They were getting a little bit older, and we thought, you know what, let's start bringing them into our financial information. So we sat down with our kids one day, we had a family meeting, and we, we shared with them the same thing, everything. They know our incomes, they know our savings, they know our debt, they know where we give, they know why we give. They know how we think about it. Because it was important to us. We thought, you know what? 
we're going to disciple or train them, even in the things that we're not strong at. I'll speak for me, not Lisa. It's like, we need to just talk about it. Be more vulnerable. Be intentional. So we did. We continue those conversations to this day. There are other aspects of that whole area that I don't do well at at all. I know that. But there are some places where it's like, okay, we just got to take a step of intentionality, a step of vulnerability to train. I had a mentor of mine from this church who shared with me a number of years ago that his giving goal in finances was regardless of his annual income, which had changed over the years, gone up and down, had different kinds of incomes, but his giving goal was that the percentage of giving would increase every year. So that no matter what his income was, his percentage would go up every year. That was his goal. That challenged me. That encouraged me. That that trained me. I've had people share with how they budget and track expenses so that they can see exactly where all their money goes. They know they know it so well. That trains me. I've seen people who live so simply as missionaries, you'd think that they were poor. They lived a simple life, a missionary life in other parts of the world, and then on their death, you find out that through their estate, they give hundreds of thousands of dollars to kingdom work. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm going, are you kidding me? That trains me. But we don't learn from each other unless we're actually willing to share with each other. You know, sometimes we hold so many things so close to our chest. And in, in the area of finances, the one verse I often hear quoted is the one in Matthew. It's also in Matthew 6, I believe, where it talks about don't, know what, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And what I always say is, yeah, that's one thing. But if you go back earlier in the text, Jesus also says, let your good deeds shine. Put them like a lamp on a hill so that the people can see your good deeds for the glory of God. Now, how do you hold those two things in tension? It's all about your motives. Is it for your glory or is it for God's glory? So if we do it for God's glory, we can share with each other and and actually spur one another on and encourage each other in these areas of discipleship to bless each other. So what do all these stories that I shared have in common? Intentionality, vulnerability. My encouragement for us as we think about this step of discipleship is that wherever you are, whoever you are, however you've been gifted, however you serve, wherever you lead, whatever you do, just think about how can I be a little bit more intentional? And how can I be just a little bit more vulnerable? Because when we do that, We train one another in obedience. And we all grow as disciples in the process. Would you stand with me? Worship team, would you come up? And I want to just pray for us as we go from here. So Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you have modeled coaching and discipling skills that are extraordinary. You prepared people for when you would leave. You equipped them. You encouraged them. You were intentional with them. You were so raw and vulnerable. I think of, Lord, when you washed your disciples' feet. The vulnerability of that is extraordinary. The power of that training is incredible. And so, Lord, you've modeled this for us in so many ways. Help us not to miss the fact that we are called 
as disciples of Jesus to continually and intentionally and vulnerably be discipling others. Help every one of us realize that we can play a part, that we are not inadequate, that we don't have to have it mastered, that we don't have to have it all figured out, but we just need to take steps of obedience in this. So Lord, would you give us courage and faith to live out this kind of life for your glory and for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.